January 7th, 2022. Uh, this morning's class and the classes throughout the week were and are uh, donated in loving memory of Rafael ben Rachel and Aryeh ben Sarah. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin and Daf Mem Zayin Amud Bet, 13 lines from the top, three words before the end of the line. We were finishing up an issue. The issue is no longer of relevance to us. It's the last part of it. Rava's claim was that a person achieves kapara even after they're put to death by Betin, uh, through burial, however. In other words, the stage of being put to death with vidui, as we saw in the Mishnah, is not sufficient for that kapara. There's burial as well, and there's even a later stage, we stated in the Gemara, but in the Mishnah as well, and that's called ikul basar, that's the decomposing of the uh, flesh. Now, just two quick notes on that before we continue. A first note on that is just important, and that is uh, we're stating that kapara is achieved, not so to speak, in the after-death state, in other words, with the decomposition of the body. Now that can be understood, as I mentioned yesterday, I just want to flesh it out, no pun intended, very briefly in uh, two ways. First and foremost is Mi'iri and Harambam would and do state that the interpretation to that is not because of, quote, the actual decomposition, but it's because you, prior to death, understand that that's what lies ahead and in turn it causes you during life to have introspection. Which means, means to say kapara is not an external button-pushing force. No, it's not that something happens to you and automatically you've achieved atonement, uh, God, so to speak, uh, cleansed you um, in some way or fashion. It's rather something that you've, you've powered forward because of the inspiration from external forces. So you know this is going to be your aftermath. In turn, during life, you're going to have an appropriate vidu. You're going to change yourself. That was achieves for you, kapara. Alternatively, and yes, there is another strand of thought, and it's important at the very least to understand it in that sense because it teaches, although hard to fully understand, teaches important lessons to living as well, in my understanding, according to Torah. And that is that the actual ikul basar, what's called hibuta kebir, actually achieves for the deceased person some sort of kapara. How's that so? The soul, we assume, is already departed from the body. The nishama is nifrad min haguf. As a result, what sort of kapara is there to be achieved? I understand if you tell me some way, in some fashion, while you're alive, you are connected and tethered soul and body, nefesh and guf, nishama and guf. After death, what's, what's the relevance? But that's an important point, and that is that Judaism, in contrast to many, if not all other religions, many other philosophies, preaches very carefully and systematically that our body and our soul are tethered one to the other. Instead of disassociating in your mindset and your approach to life, your mind, your heart from your body, they're one, not and the same, but they work together. And therefore, just to put it in a practical Harari sense, it works as follows. You don't and cannot only find God in the, quote, soulful searches in tefillah, in Torah. God is to be found in everything, in every materialistic, this-worldly pursuit. There is divinity to be found. After all, as a human being, you are, even after death, in some way or fashion, that's what the Gemara, according to this interpretation, is preaching, still connected to your body. As a human being, you're not an angel. If you're not an angel and you have a body, and the body is part and parcel of who you are, it means that is a very important statement. Know God in all your ways, not just in your 
pristinely divine spiritual pursuits. Find them in anything and everything. It's a fundamental of Judaism and of Torah. Does it end in the flesh or goes to the bones? So uh, the, the, the Mishnah suggests that after the decom... Listen, after death, we do know your body is no longer moving and we do know there's some disassociation. So you're right, Nathan, you say, so then why doesn't it continue with the bones or what? Great question, and clearly we're assuming the kaparas until the bones. What I'm telling you is it makes sense to me at the very least because my vision here is one in which I'm saying I'm not fully connected to my body, but conceptually I still say even after that, that's the biggest hidush over here, even after death there's still some association to body. To the extent that in the extension of our Gemara, not, you know, in the extended conversation afterwards, there's going to be a brief mention of not disinterring bones, which means to say after death, not moving from one plot to another. There are circumstances where it's permitted and historically it's been done. Maran HaChida, Hamor know, of most recent fame, Move them from his burial place uh, to Eretz Israel. Uh, there are circumstances where it's permitting and ha- ha- permitted and has been done, will be done. But it's important to note that it's ideally not supposed to be done. Why not? Now, there's a debate amongst poskim about why it's not supposed to be done. What are we affecting over there? But again, it's the same point. Bet Yosef quotes from several Mefarshim. It's a simple interpretation to the Pesukim, perhaps in Shemuel. It means that after death, there's some association still to body. And there's still a sanctity to the body. Why is there sanctity to the body? The body's gone. You know, to the extent that, of course, neighboring religions will tell you you should, uh, you can burn the body after. What's the value of the body afterwards? What's the body of the bones afterwards? Judaism, Torah, has forever preached. It's something that's forgotten in our culture and day and, and age in which we imagine you find God here but not there. They've always been one entity through which you find God. Sorry, yeah, Judah. Yes, you read it somewhere or in, in the recordings when I was doing those short recordings last year, you know, it, it was a good, t- if, if you're quoting, if you're quoting from me, that's wonderful because I thought it was my own idea. If you're quoting from someone else, I need to quote that from them. But uh, yes, Judah says that's why in the morning we say, Ashe Yasar. And ideally, you're supposed to directly, halakhically speaking, segue into Elokai Neshama. And so what I always suggest is that that's a perfect symmetry. It's a perfect connection because you first mention body and then you're ideally supposed to go directly into soul to mention and to designate at the onset of my day. These are not two separate pursuits. It's one and the same. All right, anyway, continues the Gemara over here for us. Says the Gemara, Rav Ashe Amar. So again, the issue that the Gemara in its last segment was dealing with was there seemed to have been a problem. If you achieve kapara with the death penalty and execution from Betin, so then kapara should already be achieved. And why is the family then of those who were executed of Haruge Betin not doing Avelut? Why are they not mourning him? The understanding from our Mishnah was in order to achieve for him kapara, it's specifically catered so that they don't do Avelut to get him kapara. Wait a second, I thought at death you get kapara. First approach of the Gemara was, no, after death you still need that decomposition of the body. Ravashe will suggest something along the same lines, but different. Ravashe Amar. 
Amar Avelut Me'ematai Kamathel. It says, Rav Asher, it just can't work that after the death penalty, the family will mourn this individual because ask yourself the following question. When does, halachically speaking, al-pidin, avelut, the morning, the shiva'an, anything and everything that follows, begin? Mistimat ha-golel. We'll define those words right now, but we'll understand. This is the first stage at which we begin avelut. Stimat ha-golel, there's a well-known and important mahloket in many places, including over here, between Rashi and Tosafot. Rashi explains that stimat ha-golel means the top of the coffin is closed. So it's the covering of the coffin. Once the covering of the coffin, so to speak, the nail in the coffin is in, that's when Avelut begins. Tosafot alternatively suggests it's a reference to the tombstone that's placed on top, like Megaleline Taevin, Golel is a reference to the stone which is placed on top. Either way you slice it, what both Rashi and Tosafot are suggesting in the Gemara is that there's an initial stage at which Avelut begins. Okay, says the Gemara, that's when Avelut begins, in an earlier stage, after death, with the coffin closing or with the tombstone being placed. Kapara me'ematai kahavya. When does the kapara begin? By, parenthetically, I think, I, I, I may have once known this, I think that's why, in lo alen, you should never know, but if anyone's ever been to the cemetery, after a burial, even though there's no tombstone placed, there's immediately a marker placed. I think in order to be hoshesh for shitata tosafot, so that we started the avelut from then. But even if there's not, as long as it's designated as this is the burial place, for tosafot, avelut begins. But anyway, says the Gemara, kapara me'ematai kahavya. When does the kapara, when is the atonement achieved? Again, you told me that it seemed to have been at the same moment as death, you get atonement. Says the Gemara, it's not really at the same moment as Avelut because Miki Hazu Sa'ara de Kibra Purta. It's when the person begins to uh, uh, experience the sa'ar, the sorrow of the kever, of being in that narrow place underground, which again is suggesting, although it's not talking about the decomposition of the body, it's talking about a separation between death and a later stage which achieves for you kapara. Avelut should begin at the immediate stage upon burial, kapara really takes a little bit longer. So what? Says the Gemara, Says the Gemara, therefore, once the person, imagine the scene, lo alenu is put to death as haruge betin, the person violated one of the sins, and that he's put to death, and he's put to death, and he's buried in the ground. The body is just buried. The family should start avelut. Can't start Avelut yet. Why not? Because Kapara hasn't begun. Why hasn't Kapara begun? Because a few moments later, a few hours later, that's when there's Sa'ara de Gufa, Sa'ara de Kibra. That's when you begin to have that sorrow and pain of being buried under the ground. Wait a second. So that means I should have started Avelut, but I can't because the Kapara hasn't been achieved for a minute, two minutes, one hour, two hours. Well, okay, so start the Avelut afterwards. Again, I have waiting for Kapara, which happens once the body is settled in the ground. Start the Avelut then. Once you couldn't begin, once we pushed aside the Avelut and we said we're not starting Avelut, why not? We're waiting for Kapara, for the settling in the ground. 
There's no avelut to be had. That's the suggestion as to why you're not mitabel, the family members are not mourning the death of the executed person. Rashi asks a very basic question on this Gemara. He says, if a person loses a relative, one of the close relatives, on Hola Mo'ed, on Hola Mo'ed, the halakha is you're really going to do your mourning, your primary mourning, after Hola Mo'ed. Why don't we say, once you weren't able to begin the full-fledged avelut on Hola Mo'ed, it's similar to our situation. If you can't begin, you don't begin. What's that? Regular guy. Yeah, by extension, if I, you're telling me that's Rashi's question. Rashi answers that it goes like this. He says on even though you're not actually mourning, the halacha is the Gemara mentions this. People are supposed to come and visit you already. It's not a real shiva. You didn't actually begin your shiva, but people are already visiting you, which means. Yes, this is a million-dollar question Jared and I have been struggling with throughout. In other words, what, what, what Nathan now is asking... Right, well, we mentioned the hesped is for the deceased. And the avelut, so your mind says, for the deceased as well. The problem with saying that is Harambam seems clear that in Ramban Nahmani and his Torah Ta'adam as well, seem clear at the very least there's another dimension to avelut, and that is Teshubah for the Hayim, the Hayitin Elibo. We say it all the time. You're supposed to now be thinking about what this means for you. So we're not just honoring the deceased. In avelut, we're also causing you to change your life, you meaning the living family members. So the answer has to be, Sorry, you can't have that because the person is not relevant to this dimension of Avelut and we're going to take it away from family rights. It's a fascinating thing. Agreed. Uh, but anyway, that's, so that's Rashi's uh, explanation to resolving this issue. Says the Gemara, If the case is, as Rav Hashem is suggesting, and this is really our third approach to the matter, that kapara, again, we can't figure out when and how, we're trying to piece things together, but you're telling me kapara, Rav Hashem, is immediately once the body settles in the ground and it feels, quote unquote, sa'ara de kibra, the sorrow, the difficulty, the pain of being buried, well then, why do we wait until the decomposition of the body to disinter the bones and put them in the cemetery, regular cemetery? We should say, bury the body, let it settle for an hour or two, sa'ara de kibra, disinter and put it in the regular cemetery. Well, why are we leaving it in for so long? Maybe not an hour or two, maybe a month or two, whatever it is, sa'ara de kibra. The answer is gemara, mishum de la ifshar, mishum de la ifshar, because it's not possible, explains Rashi. It's just not possible. Our assumption is at some point, once the body is in the ground, and it will begin to decompose. It's just not possible to then take the body out as it's decomposing and then disinter that to the other cemetery. The body, the way Rashid graphically portrays it, the stomach has opened up, the innards are coming out, it's just not the time to do it. So you wait until that process is done from a practical standpoint and then disinter. Which means when all the dust settles on this sugya, we have three real opinions as to, quote, when kapara is achieved for those haruge betin. According to Abaye, it's not. It's not, it's not through burial. According to Stamad de Gemara, we had that second opinion. It's from Ikul Basar, from when the body decomposes. And then according to this last approach of Ravasheh, it's from Tsa'ara de Kibra. When does that take place? Not fully clear. At some point, when the body, quote-unquote, is 
crouched in the ground and feels the pain and torture of being stuck there in some way or fashion. All right, uh, just one last note before we continue. Uh, we mentioned yesterday that the Gemara had derasha from Mizmor Asaf. It was in the context of this Mahlok and Abayen Rava. Rava's claim was that if a person is killed in an irregular fashion, Abaye even agreed with this to a certain extent, there is kapara. We assume this kapara, whether that's from Haruge Malchut, from non-Jewish, maybe even Jewish, Jewish kingship, in other words, not in Beit Din, uh, or as the Pasuk was describing, along those same lines, in Mizmor Asaf, they entered into your Hechal, and there are all these people who were killed, and mentioned both Avadecha and Hasidecha, and the understanding was, even though some of those people were not righteous, we now, through their terrible death, assume them to be righteous. It's for that reason, many point to this Gemara, in the context of, uh, of talking about those who deceased, who, who passed away, who were killed during the Holocaust. Oftentimes people refer to them as Kiddoshim. Why are they Kiddoshim? Maybe they were sinners. Maybe they were rotten Jews during their lifetime. We call, generally speaking, traditionally, based on this Gemara, people who died or who were killed, these gruesome, terrible deaths, specifically by non-Jews, generally speaking, less so in an accident of some sort, although that might might be applicable as well. We refer to them as Kedoshim to the extent that in She'elot to Tishubot Min Hatitzhak, I saw this le- le- last night in a new book I was, I was, I was reading through. And in Min Hatitzhak, he was asked the following question. That's Diane Weiss, who passed away some years ago. He was asked the following, excuse me, Diane Fisher. He was asked of, uh, several years ago, should people say Kaddish? Was it appropriate for people to say Kaddish for those who perished in the Holocaust? After all, we should assume they achieved Kapara, their Kedoshim. His argument was yes. The question was really asked even hundreds of years earlier to Maharil. Similar question to someone who perished in a strange way. Should you say Kaddish for them? They already have the Kapara. Maybe I don't need to say Kaddish. Now, of course, you'll all argue, as you should, that the Kaddish also has a dimension for the person who's saying it. But ultimately speaking, we assume it's you know, similar to Avelut, it's for the deceased. The argument is nonetheless that you would say so. It's interesting you have the opposite extreme. This I was familiar with. Is Hatam Sofer was asked the following question. If says if someone was beheaded by the monarchy, should you uh, should you do avelut for them? Why shouldn't you do avelut for them? Well, I said the Gemara Daf says that even though we don't have arba'a harugebetin any longer, we have din arba'a harugebetin, which means to say the Gemara says oftentimes, sometimes, whatever, someone will die the death they were supposed to be killed by. If they were hayav herig, they'll be beheaded by the monarch. That's what the Gemara said. So Hatam Sofer was asked, well, if this person is beheaded. Ah, there you go. He was a rasha. This was his haruge betin. He should have the same halakha as haruge betin, which our Mishnah says en mitabelin alehem. So Hatam Sofer countered it. He said it's true that if a person is haruge betin and we can't put them to death in such a fashion today, so in many circumstances that's how they'll die. It doesn't mean that everyone who dies in that way was haruge betin. He brings an example of Rabbi Akiva. It's Rabbi Akiva's gruesome and terrible death. You think he was haruge betin? In other words, there's more than anything, if I'm not portraying this, uh, we can't predict and understand death, nor kapara, nor how and when God has this hand in these matters. We follow tradition on these things, and in turn, Kaddish, which the Gemara and Masech Berachot has associated with tefillah and Torah, generally speaking, it's a later idea that we introduced into our tradition that we do it for the deceased, but it continues and persists under all circumstances, even even for those who objectively uh, died al kiddush Hashem. Okay, says the Gemara onward, Kibre de Rav. Kibre, Kever, means the burial plot, the burial plot of Rav. 
Rav and Shemuel are important emoraim in the Gemara. Rav, that Rav. Havu afra bat yoma. What people were doing, apparently, says the Gemara, were taking from the, gra- from the dirt uh, at the burial place of Rav, and they were using it in, uh, in order to heal people who had very high fever on the first day, says Rashi. That's ishata, ishata milashon ish, fire, fiery fever, bat yoma on the first day, and it was very dangerous on that day. How were they using the ground from his burial place? I have no idea exactly how and when that was a reality that was working or they believed was working, but that's what they were doing. Atu, uh, the people who saw this happening, Amru Shmuel. They said to Shmuel, who was the contemporary of Rav, Rav has now passed away and Shmuel is still alive, and they say to him, well, do you know what they're doing? They're taking from the grave area the dirt and putting it on their heads or yeah, doing something with it. Is that appropriate? Now, what they were bothered by, as Rashi points out, is the Gemara and just a bit is going to have dirashot, that you're not allowed to get any hana'ah, no benefit from the burial of a person, which means to say neither from the body of the deceased nor from any of the matters related to it, not their clothing, that are, not the coffin, nothing and anything. And as a result, the assumption is the dirt as well, which, caused, which is the burial place of that person. You can't get any benefit from it. So they go and they tell Shemuel this. Amar lehu says Shemuel, this is okay. Ye'ot abdin. This ye'ot tov, they're doing okay. Uh, it's, it's kosher. Uh, why is it kosher? Karka olamu. He says, in this situation, the burial place, the ground, is considered karka olam, which means it's just ground. The karka olam inaneseret. And ground never has the status of isur hana'ah that you're not allowed to benefit from it. Like Pause for a second. Like his clothes, like the shrouds, like the coffin, like anything in that, like his body. Well, Those are all not. Maybe, uh, you know, but that all being the case, that, that's his claim. Now, what are we talking about karkaolam? Karkaolam sounds like it's connected to the ground. This wasn't really connected to the ground. You dug it up. There's one of two approaches here. Either it's, it's from the burial area, that Rashi seems to go this way. As a result, even though you dug it up a little bit, if you put it back down, it's still considered as if it's connected to the ground, was connected to the ground, is connected to the ground. Alternatively, we're specifically talking about where a person either dug a hole and then stuck the body into the walls of that hole, in other words, the sides, you know, they, they, dig a large area, or imagine it like a cave. There's a cave area, a cavernous area, and then there's different areas where different uh, bodies of family members would go in. So we're talking about the top of that, the top of that, of, of those areas where you're placing the bodies, that really is connected to the ground. That was never that was never dug up. I was referring to that. Either way you slice it, the response of Rav is that the ground is permitted. Why is the ground permitted? Who said the ground? Karka Ulam is because it's mehubar. It is karka. That maybe that's also isurana. Who said we have this sort of issue in the context of of women and nida that something that's mehubar la karka has the status of enomikabil tumah. Doesn't have tumah. You have the same status over here. So he says certainly dichtiv vayashle. And the Pasuk is in the context of Yoshiahu HaMelech. Yoshiahu HaMelech has a nivua from Chulda, 
who tells him that there's uh, terrible things coming, not in his lifetime, but to Am Yisrael. So he takes the message and he goes into the Mikdash. In the Mikdash at that time, unfortunately, there was an Etz Asherah. Etz Asherah is a, a tree of Avodah Zarah, which Amon had, had planted. He takes that tree and he cuts it down, he incinerates it, he lights it on fire, and he takes the ashes and he throws those ashes onto the Kivarim, onto the burial plots of those who had worshipped Avodah Zarah. Well, that being the case, the Pasuk says, Vayashlechet Afara, the Afar over here is a reference to the Avodah Zarah tree. It's Afar, it's uh, uh, ashes and dirt from the tree. Al Kever Ha'am onto the, uh, the burial plots of the people from the nation. Makish, the Pasuk juxtaposes, has two concepts, one right after the other over here. Kever Ha'am, which means the burial plots of the people. La Avodat Kochavim to Avodah Zarah. Ma Avodat Kochavim bim Chumbar lo Mitzera. Dichtiv Asher Atem Yorashim Otam Eteolohehem al Harim, Haramim al Harim Elohehem, Velohehe Harim Elohehem, Hachaname, Pimchubar, Lomitzar. First the concept, and then inside where we got it from. So it goes like this We have in the same Pasukah reference to Avodah Zarah and burial plots. The understanding is they're going to have an equivalent law. That's Hekesh. It's one of the ways that we interpret the Torah. It's not one of the 13 Midor, but Hekesh is a tradition when matters are put next to each other, we learn one from the other. So over here, the concept goes as follows. The same way that in Avodah Zarah, the very ground doesn't become Avodah Zarah to the extent that it's Asur Bahana, that you're not allowed to benefit from it. So too, by the burial plot, the only matters during burial that will be asur banahana, will have a problem of benefiting, is the disconnected from ground matters, not the ground itself. How do you have that by avodah zarah? Well, in Sefer Devarim, Moshe warns the people, you're going to be in this land, and you're going to find the avodah zarah, the asherah, and other matters on the harim, on the mountains, in the gevaot, in the valleys. Now, the derashah is you're going to find the avodah zarah in those places, and that's what you're going to destroy. What about the place itself? Maybe the mountain is Avodah Zarah. Maybe the valley is Avodah Zarah. That's the derasha. We have this in Masechet Avodah Zarah, that the mountains are not Avodah Zarah. Maybe they were worshipped as Avodah Zarah, but you're allowed to benefit. You're allowed to toil on that mountain and step in the mountain and all that sort of stuff. The only matters you need to destroy are the items on it. So too over here. So too over here. In our context, the kever, the place of the burial, that itself does not become Asur Bahana. It's only something that's connected to it, something that's what we call talush. That being the case, I bring you back to the story with Rav. Rav's burial, they're taking from the dirt, Shimuel says, that's all right. Why is that all right, Shimuel? Because the ground is karka olam. Karka olam is enan It says the Gemara Metive, we have a question from a Beraita. Ha-hosev keber le-aviv. If a person digs or dug a uh, burial plot for their father, so they dig the hole. Then they changed their mind. They got a burial, different, better burial plot, whatever. They buried the father in a different place. It should not use the spot which he dug up, it sounds like, ever. Now, wait a second. I thought the ground is not Asur Bahana. You're telling me, it appears, that since I dug up the ground, I designated this as a kever, as a place where I'm going to bury. Now, midrabanan, although I didn't actually bury over here, you're not allowed to now use it. Well, you're not allowed to use it, why not? Well, clearly, for another burial, for anything. Lo yikaber, even kevura. What's that? Only as opposed to what? Say, so you're allowed to use it for, for medicinal reasons? Why would it only be? Because you intended to bury somebody there. It's like, 
The Mashabah was, was on it, maybe they'll get confused, even though... I, I hear what you're saying, but no, and, and you'd therefore be comfortable using it for medicinal reasons? You know, the assumption is not that way. I mean, ex- no one can use that area at all because it has the status now, not just him. In the words of Rashid, the Kevan de Huzman Lemet, Ne'esar Bekolana. You're not allowed to get any benefit from it. And the concept being, and this is a rabbinic enactment, that any place which is a kever or is enacted as a kever is now, what would the reason, what is the gezerah of the hachamim? They're nervous that if we don't establish this way, it, this way, people are going to be picking bodies up and burying them in different places. So now we say, chabod, I mean, we don't want you doing that, obviously, but now you messed up that area. Don't think that you've now opened up that area to make it accessible for future burials or anything else. Well, that being the case, then I, I, I... Just make any suri came into bodies. You don't have to go there for Appar- I, I hear you. Apparently, they weren't listening enough. And all those people would say, all right, we'll, we'll go against that. If I have a financial loss now, I know that I can't use that area. So if we dug up the wrong spot, and that, that is the assumption over here, yes. Um, now, if it was the wrong spot, meaning it had the, the intention of you, who asked them to do it, was never there, it would be permitted. We'll see that explicitly. Or if someone you knows, I could really mess over you, but Jeffrey, I'll walk to your house now and I'll just start. You know, and that's it. No, you can't do that because it's got to be with the intention of the person who owns it and the digging that this is really going to be that place. That's clear. Midrabanan, that's, that's the way it's going to work. But that's the way it's going to work in that sort of circumstance. Well, that all being the case, so I was going, oh, what are you telling me? I thought you just told me Shimuel a few moments ago that it's permitted to get benefit from the ground. You told me Karkaolam, answers the Gemara, Bekeber Binyan. It must be that our reference over here, we'll explain based on Rashi, is a Keber which is a bit over. In other words, we're talking about building on top. And since we're talking about building on top, that's not mehubar la karka. You, you built, I don't know what you call that, a massal, whatever that, those words are. What's it called? Mausoleum, right? So you built, I think that's, is that how they translate? Whatever, I think that's what we're referring to. Whatever, you know, so that, that thing, you know, you, you're building on top, and in turn, that's not mehubar. When we were referring to earlier was when it's under, it's actually the ground. Now, either because I placed dirt on top of it now, or it was because it was in the cave, and I'm talking about the top of it. Look at the post scheme, I don't understand. But ultimately speaking, this is different. Either way you slice it, either way you determine what this means, what we're talking about over here, what we're referring to over here, is not a regular plot or an underground type of plot. We're talking about something above. And in turn, that's the issue. It's not mehubar. Shimuel, Rav situation, it was Mechubar, it was under the ground. Says the Gemara onward, I have, I have other questions. And each one of these next questions, as many as we'll do today, all get answered the same way. It's all talking about Kever Binyan. It's all talking about an external, artificial structure which you're, which you're constructing. That's what's Asur Bahana. The ground itself, the burial plot itself, we compare that to Avodah Zarah, that's not Asur Bahana. Tashema, uh, come and learn from the following uh, statement of the Hachameh. So the tombstone above ground would be okay. That's right. Says Gemara, Kever Hadash Mutar Behana'a. Hitil Bonefil Azur Behana'a. If it's a new grave area, uh, well, that's mutar bahana. In other words, you didn't have in mind in any way to use it for your father. Now, it happens to be the burial for your father. Later, the Gemara will suggest a different reason for that. We explained it here in our Gemara the way we understood it at this segment. So we'll 
just hold on to that for now and read this next line as well. And I'm not going to, you know, it's, it's in a day or two. We'll, we'll understand the, the alternative understanding to that. But ultimately, says the Gemara over here, if it's a kever, hadash mutar bahana. It was just dug up without the intention of a burial for who and whatever. Okay, that's permitted. Hitilbo nefil. You put a child who lo aleinu died early. Asur bahana. Now it already is prohibited. Wait a second. What are you telling me? Prohibited? I thought it's the ground. And I thought the ground doesn't become prohibited. And says Gemara, I'll give you the same answer. We're dealing with Kever Binyan. Kever Binyan, again, is a reference to an artificial uh, structure which you're, you're constructing for this burial. Same thing for us. That, that's what I was referring to. The Gemara later on will tell us it's Hotsev Le'aviv. And the problem specifically over there is it's because it's for Kibod Aviv. It's not allowed if it's for your father. Over here, it's not for your father. Well, it's the Gemara later on. We'll, we'll tease that out. Rashi already kind of told, you, told us that, that the Gemara is going to fall. But that's exactly the point. It's hard to read these back to back and not be bothered. Well, what was the difference between the two? How come Kever Hadash is permitted? The only thing you realize is that one was done with the intention, with the Kavana the Shem Aviv. This one wasn't. We'll have to understand exactly what that means. No, we're just talking about the Hatziva, no, not, not the buying of the pot. Says the Gemara Tashema, Nimsa Ata Omer. This Berait has the following statement. The statement goes like this Nimsa Ata Omer, you now will understand the following. Shalosh Kevarotim. There are three types of burial plots in the eyes of the Hachamim. What are they? Kever Hanimsa, Kever Hayadua, Kever Hamazik and Tarabim. These are three types of theoretical or practical uh, ke- burial plots. What are they? Kever Hanimsa. Walk into my backyard and uh, what? Someone, bur- someone dug up this ground. That's called Kever Hanimsa. And someone buried on my plot. What's the status of this ground? What's the status of my yard and all that sort of stuff? Kever Hayadua. Kever Hayadua is quite the opposite. I'm well aware and I instructed or I dug it up and buried on my plot. That's the second type. Kever Hamazika Tarabim. I did it knowingly, but I did it in a place where people pass over. And as a result, it's a problem for Kohanim, certainly, in terms of Yisur, but for other people, they're now going to become Tamir by stepping over that burial area. Oh, those are the three types. So what's the halakhic difference between these three? Here we go. Kever hanimsa mutar lefanoto. If it's kever hanimsa, I found it in my backyard, and I didn't allow for anyone. It was gezel. They weren't allowed to use my life. Mutar lefanoto. You're allowed to uh, disinter. You're allowed to move the body, and so the hachamim never had any gezel over here. Pinahu, you not move the body from your yard to somewhere else. Mekomo tahor. Now the place where that body, against your will, without any designation, is permitted and it's fully mutar bahana. There was never any issue over here because I never knowingly had this done. And Jeffrey, that's the example that I was referring to. If the non-Jews did it in the wrong place, that's kever so to speak, kever hanimsa. Kever yadua, that's in my yard or in my plot that belongs to me and I instructed it or willfully did it. You're not allowed to disinter under regular circumstances. Pinahu, if you did disinter, that place is tameh. Of course, that's going to be our problem. That's a real issue. What are you talking about? 
What's the Yisur Hanaa? I thought you told me the place is not Asur Bahanaa. Isn't that what you told me, Rav? Shemuel? Wasn't that the statement? Lastly, Kevra Mazika Tarabim. It was done in a public area. Mutar Lefanoto. You're allowed to disinter. Pinahu. If you did so, Mekomo Tahor. However, Ve'asur Bahanaa. Well, those are the three specifics of our issues. But the last two are the most problematic. Yisur Hanaa. How's there any Yisur Hanaa? You're not all the benefit. I thought you told me. That the ground is karkaolam, there's no issue of benefit. Yet again, this is talking about an artificial, separate building. For Israel today, you have all these problems with graves. They're digging up the archaeology and they find the grave. Yes. Well, I thought you were talking even more than that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, understood. You want to build the highway? That's, that's, uh, in my time, when I lived in Israel, there were Hafganot, and I lived in very religious neighborhoods. There were constantly protests about building really highways well. over it. You have to, well, you have to, you have to well not so that. clear, because over here, that's after the fact. Now you tell me you want to build the highway over here. There is the highway. Lastly, says the Gemara, Hachaname Bekebe Binyan, says the Gemara, Bekebe Nimsa Mutar Lefanoto, We'll stop with this question. The Gemara asks, wait a second, when it's Kever Hanimsa, meaning I found it in my yard, this person, someone dug up the ground, put a body in, uh, you're, you're allowed to disinter? Who said you're allowed to disinter? Maybe that body is what we call Met Mitzvah, which means to say there was no one to bury. And if there is no one to bury, no family members, and you find the dead person in the random area, you're now allowed to dig and bury in that area. So who said the owner of that area can decide and determine? Inappropriate, not on my land, disinter, take it, and everything's mutarbana and no tuma. What are you talking about? Maybe it was met mitzvah. Met mitzvah, kanamikomo, the halakha is a met mitzvah, so to speak, acquires its area against the will of those who might own it. Answers the Gemara, Shane met mitzvah de kala itle. Says the Gemara, met mitzvah, kala means a sound, everybody would know it's a met mitzvah. If you wake up and in your yard, even if you have acres of land, there's just a burial plot all of a sudden, you don't have to suspect that that was met mitzvah. You would know if it was a met mitzvah. Which means, say, ultimately speaking, the Gemara stands by and goes on to another issue, tangentially connected, but this is the conclusion of our matter. We had a statement, Rav's keder, they were using the dirt, they were using the sand that surrounded in order to heal themselves. Ah, how could that be? Shemuel said it's karka olam. The Gemara challenge and challenge and challenge. The answer to all of them was kebe binyan. And as a result, in each of those circumstances, no challenge which, uh, which, which knocked out Shemuel's Pesach Kalacha. That's the Pesach Kalacha, as long as it's not the ground which is uh, dug up, so to speak, in a way and fashion that was disconnected, or anything that is disconnected, the body, the shrouds, and so forth. It's mutar bahana, baruch adonai le'olam, amen, 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 am